are now saying are taking place. So right now, it looks to the world, whatever Israel does in Gaza, all right, the, the United States is held accountable that U.S. and Israel are essentially regarded by much of the world as co-belligerents in Gaza. And so if uh, Israel kills too many civilians, right, if Israel gets stuck down into some kind of quagmire, right, if there's just a bloody mess in Gaza, right, the United States is held equally responsible in the eyes of much of the world as Israel, the actual, you know, active party, because the United States is providing, you know, moral support, financial support, uh, arms support to Israel. And Joe Biden went over there, hugged Bibi Netanyahu. So unnecessary U.S. involvement, just a disastrous trip by Biden to Israel. The more support that uh, America gives Israel, then the more Israel's actions will reflect on America. And different countries have different interests, right? The interests of Israel are not identical to the interests of the United States. And I have some sympathy for the argument, hey, Israel's the one democracy in the, the Middle East. We, we should uh, support it against the you know, sea of dictatorships that surround it. And I think there's, there's something to that, but there are varying levels of support. And the ham-fisted, blatant, you know, unnecessarily provocative way that the United States has stood with Israel in this conflict is not serving the U.S. well in the eyes of much of the world, precipitating who knows how many more 9-11-style attacks on the, on the United States of America. And why have we so far abstained from bombing Iran? Because the U.S. has shifted such significant military assets to the Middle East. I think, in part, we have those assets there. If Hezbollah goes into an all-out attack on Israel, right, and Israel is forced to fight a two-front war, the Biden administration wants to have American military assets and aircraft carriers there to to protect Israel and to fight against Hezbollah. So that's one way the United States could get directly militarily involved in this conflict. The other way, and I think much of the Biden administration is leaning in this direction, as much of the neoconservative movements have wandered for decades, there is considerable support within the Biden administration for an all-out direct attack on Iran. Why has it not happened yet? This is the best explanation I've heard yet. This is from the... Duran podcast once again three days ago. They found that the Saudis and, uh, uh, were not going to shift their policies. Uh, they were not going to support this strike. Right. So I think the Biden administration was eager for a direct attack on Iran. But then Iran is Shia. All right. Saudi Arabia has been a longtime enemy of Iran. It is Sunni. And so the Biden administration thought that they could gather considerable Sunni support for a direct attack on Iran's Shia regime, and they've been disappointed. Wars. He says about how they were planning seven wars at the time when he was serving in the government and how rude and impossible they are to deal with on a personal basis. So these are the people who are still there in the administration. They completely misjudged the international reaction. They found that the Saudis and, uh, uh, were not going to shift their policies. Uh, they were not going to support this strike on Iran, that they're uh, committed to the rapprochement with Iran. They found that the Egyptians were not prepared to play along, nor was the King of Jordan. They found the Arab world uniting um, against these disastrous plans. And they also found that the international community was, you know, the, the global, the, you know, the global south, everyone else was uniting against these plans also. And last but not least, they found that the 
Democratic Party's coalition within the United States was fracturing. So they have they had to stop. They had to stop their planning, even as all the pieces that they sort of deployed on the chessboard were still in motion. So we still get all of these massive military deployments taking place, but increasingly looking as if they are really serving no actual purpose anymore. And of course, we also see the Israelis pressing on with their campaign in Gaza, which to get reiterated again, they were given the green light to do. And the US government, the administration, is now having switched this on, is fighting it all but impossible without experiencing significant political damage in the US to simply switch it off again. So this is this is this is why they're caught in the way that exactly in the way that you described. Yeah. And uh, we're already getting reports of, of the damage on uh... Okay, that, that strikes me as a good explanation as any for why the United States hasn't already directly started uh, bombing Iran. Right, interesting article in the New York Times yesterday. Talk of a Trump dictatorship charges the American political debate. Former President Donald J. Trump and his allies are not doing much to reassure those worried about his autocratic instincts. If anything, they seem to be leaning into the predictions. Peter Baker writes, when a historian wrote an essay the other day warning that the election of former President Donald J. Trump next year could lead to a dictatorship, one of Mr. Trump's allies quickly responded by calling for the historian to be sent to prison. Almost sounds like a parody. The response to concerns about dictatorship is to prosecute the author. But Mr. Trump and his allies are not going out of their way to reassure those worried about what a new term would bring by firmly rejecting the dictatorship charge. If anything, they seem to be leaning into it. And I've I just have a hard time taking these dictatorship charges seriously, just like my mind would would be unable to pay attention for long to the Russiagate charges that dominated American news media between January 2017 and uh, midway point of, of 2019. I could, whenever I, I read about Russiagate, I'd, I'd start to get a headache. It just didn't make much sense. And we, we finally realized that there was never uh, substance to these accusations, that many of the details were correct. But the overall idea that millions of Americans believe that uh, Russia hacked our election in 2016 is absurd. The idea that Donald J. Trump is a Russian asset is absurd. So the, the media is usually careful in its reporting of details, but the inference that it would promote for two and a half years, essentially, that Trump was a Russian asset uh, or that... Uh, Putin hacked our 2016 election were absolutely absurd. And so who's this historian who wrote an essay warning that the election of Trump could lead to dictatorship? Well, it's Robert Kagan, right, who I would describe more as a neocon propagandist. So in 1997, he co-founded the now defunct neoconservative think tank project for the new American century with William Crystal, which envisaged about seven different American wars. Uh, Kagan was an early strong advocate of American military action in Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, and Iraq, right, from 1998 onward. After the 1998 bombing of Iraq was announced, Kagan said, bombing Iraq isn't enough. Remember, sanctions against Iraq may, may well have cost the lives of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Iraqi children. Right. Uh, Robert Kagan in 1998 was calling on President Clinton to send ground troops to Iraq. January 2002, Robert Kagan and Irving Kristol falsely claimed in a Weekly Standard article that Saddam Hussein was supporting the existence of a terrorist training camp in Iraq, complete with a Boeing 707 for practicing hijackings and filled with non-Iraqi radical Muslims. 
Then they further alleged that September 11 hijacker Mohammed Atta met with an Iraqi intelligence official several months before the attack. These allegations were shown to be false. I remember Dennis Prager on his radio show talking to an editor at the Weekly Standard about these charges, and Prager kept saying, why aren't these charges being reported in the rest of the news media? Well, because these, these charges were false. 2008, Robert Kagan wrote an article called Neocon Nation, Neoconservatism for World Affairs, describing the main components of American neoconservatism as a belief in the rectitude, meaning the rightness, the morality of applying U.S. moralism to the world stage, support for the U.S. to act alone, the promotion of American-style liberty and democracy in other countries, the belief in American hegemony and the confidence in U.S. military power and a distrust of international institutions. And uh, Kagan has often been referred to as the chief neoconservative foreign policy theorist. In uh, July 2000, Robert Kagan wrote that the problem with Colin Powell is his political and strategic judgment is not aggressive enough. That's my interpretation. Yeah, Colin Powell doesn't believe the United States should enter into conflicts without strong public support, but he also doesn't believe that the public will support anything. That kind of iron logic rules out almost every conceivable post-Cold War intervention. When he talks intervention here, he means U.S. military intervention. In 2003, Robert Kagan's book, Paradise and Power, American Europe in the New World Order, published on the eve of the U.S. invasion of Iraq, created a sensation through its assertion that Europeans tended to favor peaceful resolutions of international disputes while the Americans take a more Hobbesian view in which many kinds of disagreements can only be settled by force, or as Kagan puts it, Americans are from Mars, Europeans are from Venus. In 2016, February, Robert Kagan publicly left the Republican Party. That's referring to himself as a former Republican. He endorsed Democrat Hillary Clinton for president because he was so afraid of uh, what he saw as an isolationist turn. Now, there is one area where I support Joe Biden's foreign policy over Donald Trump's foreign policy in that I believe that Donald Trump was consistently careless, reckless, and destructive of our relationships with our allies. And so I think Joe Biden has done a better job building our alliances, right? We are more powerful through alliances. It's like getting matching donations. I don't know how you raise money in your church or synagogue, but often in, in synagogues that I attend, someone will put up an offer to match any donations over the, the next two weeks or month, all right? And that's a way to you know, multiply donations, and you can multiply power by forming alliances. And I think the Biden administration has done a better job than the Trump administration in working with our allies. But I think the way that the Biden has worked with our allies to subsidize and instigate the war in Ukraine has been an absolute uh, disaster. And September 2021, Robert Kagan wrote an opinion essay published in the Washington Post, our constitutional crisis is already here because of Donald Trump. And then last week he published another essay Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. And so this guy is married to Victoria Newland, who is the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs under Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. So she made appearances supporting protesters in Ukraine back in 2013, 2014, during the Maidan uprising against a democratically elected pro-Russian president of Ukraine. She said that the U.S. had spent $5 billion building democracy in Ukraine since 1991. Russia did not you know, take well to this statement. They claimed it was evidence that the U.S. was orchestrating a revolution against Russia's interests, which is probably true. Then I played earlier that, that phone call 
where she talked about who would be the best uh, prime minister of Ukraine and that we should F the EU. So to me, people like Robert Kagan and Victoria Nuland, they embodied the worst of the U.S. foreign policy establishment because they consistently push for unnecessary American military intervention overseas. Now, my primary response to the charge that Donald Trump wants to become a dictator is that he has never shown much ability nor interest at running things. Right? He wants attention, and the more conflict he engenders, the more attention he gets. Paul Gottfried, back in 2012, had a pretty short, sweet analysis of Robert Kagan. It says, Robert Kagan, who seems to relish every war the U.S. has been in, regrets we haven't fought more of them even longer. So now he's selling himself as some kind of foreign policy realist, or the realists he admires are people like himself who support all of America's past military adventures, presumably would favor lots more military intervention in the future. And I like Steve Saylor's analysis about these wild charges regarding Donald Trump wanting to be a dictator. So November 6, 2020, Steve Saylor tweeted, Donald Trump is just about the least authoritarian president since, say, Calvin Coolidge. Those who obsess about Trump's authoritarianism are projecting their own dark anti-democracy urges on Trump. So both right and left at times are anti-democratic. So the left wants to overturn populist measures, such as the Prop 187 passed in California to restrict uh, government welfare to illegal immigrants that was overturned by judges. So the left, generally speaking, likes judicial intervention that nullifies Republican legislation or Republican populist referendums. And then the right, in, in its own various ways, is quite willing to go against uh, popular opinion. So both sides don't tend to see democracy as an unalloyed good. And we don't live just simply in a democracy, right? The system we have contains elements of democracy, elements of dictatorship, in that the U.S. president has all the foreign policy powers of you know, King George III at the time of the American Revolution, right? The American president can essentially send us to war without the approval of, of Congress. And then we have, you know, ways that we're an oligopoly, where just, you know, a few people have a, an outsized amount of power, though it's not as severe as it was in the past. So Jeff Bezos has something like 0.06% of the total American GNP, while uh, Rockefeller was it Rockefeller? No, who was the, the great oil baron from the late 19th century? But anyway, at his height, he alone controlled 2% of America's GNP. So America was probably much more of an oligopoly back in the late uh, 19th century. Steve Saylor wrote October 9, 2018, yeah, Republicans just on the verge of rounding up dissidents into soccer stadiums. That's why the stock market has hammered down Jeff Bezos' net worth down. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> All right. So if, if we're on the verge of the stock of a Trump dictatorship, the stock market would be plunging, right? Because in a dictatorship, right, wealth can just be arbitrarily confiscated. The reason so much of the world's wealth pours into the United States is faith in American institutions of the rule of law and democratic procedures and American enforcement of laws and that America is comparatively low in corruption compared to other countries. So if we really were staring down the face of a Trump dictatorship, the stock market would be absolutely crashing and foreigners would be withdrawing hundreds of billions of dollars from America. That's not happening. So words are easy, right? Saying that Trump could be a dictator, effortless to say that. 
But if there was any reality to these charges, you'd see hundreds of billions, trillions, eventually, dollars fleeing out of the United States, the American stock market crashing, the American dollar crashing. None of that's happening because the people with real skin in the game, the people with billions and trillions of dollars in the game, do not take seriously these accusations that uh, Donald Trump is going to be some kind of you know, nasty dictator. And I, I agree with Saylor here. He says Trump would be bored about the second hour of a full authoritarian regime. He'd let his cricket critics out of the soccer stadiums to give him somebody to fight with. I don't think there's anybody in American public life who loves the conflict of democratic politics more than Trump. Authoritarianism in the European sense that brought to power both Hitler and Charles de Gaulle was connected to the feeling that partisan debate was unseemly. Donald Trump does not regard debate as unseemly. Donald Trump loves conflict. His enemies typically hate Trump because they find his love of conflict unseemly. They long for a philosopher king like Obama, under whom they could serve as PR flax, crafting conversations in which the citizenry's job is to shut up and to listen to their betters' talking points. So Trump is kind of the second coming of his role model, George Steinbrenner. So Staler, I think, quite accurately views Donald Trump through the lens of the 1977-81 World Series rivalry of George Steinbrenner's New York Yankees and the O'Malley family's Los Angeles Dodgers. So the O'Malley's ran a superb authoritarian corporation in the Dodgers where everybody had to follow the corporate PR line that everything was copacetic and the Dodgers were extremely opaque and largely co-opted the media into going along with their strategy. By contrast, the early Steinbrenner Yankees were the most public controversy-friendly baseball team of all time with George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson engaged in a war of all against all carried out on the back cover of the tabloids. And that's kind of Donald Trump's way. So the Joe Biden regime seems so much more cohesive, just like the O'Malley regime seems so much more cohesive than the New York Yankee regime. But even though the Biden administration, generally speaking, does not leak against itself, it does not carry out its fights in public, all right, there's not all these unseemly conflicts between various members of the Biden administration as there was during the Trump administration. On the other hand, the Joe Biden administration is the most reckless, dangerous, incompetent foreign policy administration we've had in 80 plus years. January 2018, Steve Saylor wrote, it's comical that so many have denounced Donald Trump as an authoritarian whose election threatens that democracy dies in the dark, as Jeff Bezos' Washington Post claims. In reality, Trump's administration is the most public in memory, right? The Biden administration doesn't leak, right? The Trump administration constantly leaked. Comics are making jokes about the president for the first time since 2008. Americans are enthusiastically arguing over politics. Trump, love him or hate him, has revitalized our democracy. The authoritarian Bezos runs his Amazon company very much along the closed, manipulative O'Malleyite lines rather than the Trump wide-open, brawling Steinbrennist principles. Right. And uh, Jeff Bezos, under the supposedly authoritarian dictatorial Donald Trump, became the richest man in the history of the world while fighting with Donald Trump. October 8, 2021, Steve Saylor noted, Donald Trump's extraordinary effort to overturn the 2020 election result didn't take much thwarting. Trump told various officials to do something. They said, we'll resign. Trump responded, OK, you win. Right. So I think it was a disaster, a terrible thing that uh, Donald Trump tried to fight the overwhelming election results against him in 2020. I think that Donald Trump bears some moral responsibility for the ugly January 6th riots. I wish that Trump had followed 
protocol and shown up for the inauguration of Joe Biden. But I don't think he's a, a dictator. I think that is absolutely absurd. Right, let me catch my breath. We see in the content. Um, and because we were looking at people that uh, turned out to fit closer or, or farther from the template that we were looking at, over time, we, we felt more comfortable with emphasizing that people were on a, a, a spectrum um, in, in terms of the archetype that we were looking at. And we made this tongue-in-cheek uh, kind of thing called uh, gorometer. What it's not is a scientific, psychometrically validated instrument and is definitely not a revolutionary theory. Uh, 